Hello and welcome to another edition of X's and Opinions. I'm your host, Liam Plate, and I'm now joined by my analysts, Ben Harris and Joel Moran. And guys, we have a lot of sports to get to today. But before we start talking any talking about any sports, guys, how are you doing on this on this fine Sunday night when we're recording? Dude, I am absolutely beat. I'm working 24-7, but I'll make any and all time I can uh, to speak to you two handsome gentlemen and discuss any and all things sports related. And I'm just very excited for this episode. I think it's going to be a good one. I feel great. I mean, the Nets just signed Blake Griffin. He's going to sign there and it's going to make I have so much energy now because that happened. So this is going to be a great show. I know Ben is really looking forward to talking about the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, and I have a lot of great energy, too, because I just called um, a, a 2-0 two, two Seton Hall softball doubleheader, which is very exciting to watch. So Pirates on a three-game win streak. But let's get to the NBA. We're at the Super All- Go Pirates. Super Go Pirates. There we go. And now in the NBA, we have reached the All-Star break. So there was a lot of controversy for some players who didn't make the All-Star team. So and this is always a topic every year. And so Guys, for you, who are your biggest all-star snubs? For me, I think I got two players that come to mind. And there's way more than two. Uh, I know before the recording, Liam mentioned Tobias Harris. I mean, the, the Philly is number one in the Eastern Conference. So Tobias definitely should have had some consideration. But Trey Young, he started in the all-star game last season. And he's not even an all-star this season. I feel like he should have definitely been there with some of the players. And then you look at another guy, DeMar DeRozan in the Western Conference. Not only is he putting up 20 points and seven assists, but San Antonio is winning. They're in the playoff, in the playoffs right now. So those are my two guys, DeMar DeRozan and Trey Young. I think they got snubbed. But all in all, I think everybody that made the All-Star game deserved to make it. And I wouldn't put DeMar or Trey over any of the guys that did. Yeah, I'd say we talk about snubs every year. And every year it's the this discussion of, oh, this guy should have made the game. But in retrospect, there's always players that are hurt at the All-Star break. There's always replacements that come in. Like uh, for the Western Conference, Anthony Davis is hurt. Devin, uh, so Devin Booker came in. Then Devin Booker got hurt. So now Mike Conley's coming in. So it's always just kind of this uh, roundabout that we go through every year with, oh, this guy was snubbed. But then a uh, few guys always trickle in, get their chances because of injury and uh, I mean, it is what it is. But in terms of guys that aren't even getting the opportunity, injuries, uh, injury replacements or not, I'd say De'Aaron Fox is having a really good year. And I, I've always really liked De'Aaron Fox ever since he was uh, coming out of Kentucky and averaging 0.2 points a game uh, this season on a very mediocre Kings team. He's clearly uh, the pretty number one clear option in that uh, organization. And they're build, trying to build a franchise around that man. And I, I think he showed a lot of improvement and a lot of uh, humility as this young leader of a struggling team this year. So I, I would have liked to have seen uh, De'Aaron Fox make the game. And as well as like someone like Chris Middleton, who's been an all-star in the past and he's Giannis's uh, true number two. And uh, he's so good uh, across the board statistically and just a great all-around player. So I, I think those two uh, have the argument of being called snubs, but I, I think uh, everybody who's playing in the game kind of deserves their spots. Yeah, I agree. I think I think everyone that's in the game is is pretty much a, a solid all star in the NBA. I would agree with you, Joel. I do think Tobias Harris uh, could have been one. I think he's playing solid. and He's one of those guys that he can really explode for for huge games uh, when he needs to. He can drop 30 on you any night. Uh, he can. And then but De'Aaron Fox, I like that pick, too. And then Trey Young, 
I know that's an interesting going from an all-star starter last year to not being an all-star at all. Uh, but then moving on from, from the all-star game as it is uh, to, uh, on Sunday night on the day we're recording, so we can't talk much about it. Um, but looking at, at the teams and where we're at in the standings, so looking at the standings here, Sixers in first place with Nets in second. Um, and then on the Western Conference, you have the Jazz in first and the Suns in second. The Lakers not too far behind the Suns in third. But, guys, who would you really think is kind of like a, maybe maybe it's one of those top teams in the conference, but who do you think is the most underrated team so far in this season at the halfway point? I have two picks, my fan pick and my, uh, my pick that I'm going to give some shine to a team that's not getting so much shine right now. The Brooklyn Nets are probably the most underrated team because people are still viewing them from the lens of it can't work in Brooklyn. The defense is going to be a problem instead of viewing them from a lens of this may be the greatest team assembled in NBA history. I mean, not only do you have James Harden, Kyrie and KD who make up probably the best offensive trio in NBA history, but now they're about to get Blake Griffin, which we're going to talk about shortly. And overall, their defense has been better. They just have to be okay on defense because their offense is probably going to be one of the best in NBA history. And then the other team I'm, I'm going to give some shine to is kind of a toss-up. The Miami Heat, because just short, just like a few weeks ago, they were not even in the playoffs. And now they're in the playoffs. They're playing really well. And they're like, I think in the past 10 games, they have the best ranked defense in the NBA. So they're playing way better and they're healthy. They made the finals last season. So now they're finally starting to find their groove. And then the Denver Nuggets. I know Jory is going to like that pick a lot. Nikola Jokic has been phenomenal this season. And if the Nuggets were a top three seed in the NBA, I think Nikola Jokic is the runaway MVP. He leads in almost every advanced analytic and he's doing everything for the Denver Nuggets pretty much. And I think Denver and Miami are the two sleeper teams to really make a run in the second half of the season. Yeah. As for a team that I think is kind of uh, slipping under the radar a little bit, and I, I'm going to go a little bit Homer as well, Joel. I think the New York Knicks are doing, are playing some solid basketball. I mean, seven and three in their last 10 games. Uh, the young talent is showing out. Uh, trading for Derrick Rose has made a big difference within that locker room, being able to uh, mentor those that young cast of players. And I, I think the Knicks are, uh, of course, exceeding expectations by being not only about above 500, but uh, in that Eastern Conference playoff picture. But uh, Tom Thibodeau is putting together a very solid team. They go out and they try hard every night. And Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett are both having fantastic seasons, uh, both great developing young players. And uh, as for my team in the Western Conference, that's kind of uh, slipping under people's radar. The Portland Trailblazers are playing really good basketball right now. I mean, six and four in their last 10, and that's without CJ McCollum. So winning their last three, Carmelo is playing great basketball, especially on the defensive end. Carmelo Anthony, uh, no matter what people have said all over all these years, is one of the greatest basketball players to ever touch the hardwood. So to discount him at this age, just because he's in this role player role, uh, especially since CJ's been out, he's been able to step up his game, step up his scoring production. And of course, Damian Lillard is one of the best point guards I've ever seen in my entire life. And he's playing to that decree right now uh, as Portland's in the five seed in a very tough Western conference. Yeah, but both great picks. And Ben, I do like the, the Trailblazers pick. I think that, I think that's a solid one. I think they are usually pretty underrated 
in the Western Conference, usually fly under the radar. And I think another team, they, they, they're they second in the in the Western Conference. I like the Phoenix Suns. I think they're kind of flying under the radar a little bit because a, a lot of people, you know, you focus on the Jazz. You got the Nuggets. You have the, the Lakers, all the, the big stars in the Western Conference with the Clippers. Uh, but the Suns, they're, they're a very good team, being as they are second place, 24 and 11. But then I just think the addition of Chris Paul has been so good for that team. He's such a great leader in the locker room, especially for a young team like that. I think he really makes a difference. We saw what he helped do in Oklahoma City and take them to the playoffs. But uh, and then looking at that, I just think he's done a he's brought a lot to that Phoenix Suns team. And I think they could be dangerous come down the stretch. But then we're going to go on the flip side of that question. So, guys, this may strike some controversy, but we'll see who is the most overrated team at the All Star break. This is so easy for me. This is such an easy pick. It's the Philadelphia 76ers. Everybody thinks they're going to go on some run on the finals one. When we talk, one, when you're the number one seed, you are expected to at least make the finals. Nobody in the East has a chance because Brooklyn is going to make the finals, right? So the 76ers are the first seed, but they're not going to be the first seed for much longer because Brooklyn is going to take that first seed spot. The 76ers, for as good as their record shows, they are 10 and 8 against 500 teams. So they are pretty average against teams that are actually good. I still don't trust Ben Simmons in the playoffs. He still can't shoot a jump shot, even though he shot a fluke one against the Cavs at the end of the game, which I know gave Liam a lot of hope for his future and his three-point shot. But Philly, I mean, look, Joel Embiid is playing phenomenal. And I'm not trying to discount Joel Embiid at all, but he's not a very good passer. And once teams really start to hone in on double-teaming him, I'm not sure how well he can pass out of those double teams. Ben Simmons scares me in the playoffs. Danny Green is inconsistent in the playoffs. And Seth Curry, I like him a lot, and Tobias. But Tobias was really bad in the playoffs against the Boston last season. So there is a lot to be concerned about. And on top of that, Doc Rivers has been known to choke series in the playoffs as well. All around, I just feel like this team is headed for disaster come playoff time. I'm not sold on Philly at all. Yeah, I I think you bring up some good points about Philly. Uh, The playoff intensity that – or the defensive intensity that teams are going to bring on Joel Embiid in the playoffs is going to kind of change the course of how they're able to maneuver their offense through him down low in the post. And I think that is a concern. I wouldn't call them overrated per se, but I I agree with you that the Nets are probably going to overtake that first seed as, I mean, you've seen uh, they're nine and one the past 10. They're one of the best teams of basketball and uh, they haven't even had uh, that many games where their whole big three is healthy. And of course, signing Blake Griffin earlier today uh, is going to bring them even to a higher standard. So I I do think the Nets are going to inevitably move ahead of the 76ers. I agree with you there. Uh, But in terms of a team that I believe is overrated, I don't really believe that just because the Miami Heat have been able to make some strides toward improvement lately, that they're really a serious team. I just think that they have – not that last season was a fluke for them, but I think that the bubble provided them with an atmosphere that allowed them to have the most success. And I just don't think they have the overall cohesiveness and talent on that team to be able to truly make any noise in the playoffs. I think the Knicks are a clearly better team uh, than them. I think uh, Tom Thibodeau is coaching better than Eric Spolster right now, especially with uh, the roster they have around them, uh, just comparatively. But I, I don't think the Heat are for real. I, I think 
that just because you're showing signs of improvement as of late uh, doesn't really mean anything when it's kind of a midseason jump. But over in the Western Conference, I think uh, that the Clippers aren't really that competitive to me. They've lost their last three games. And, of course, they've had all sorts of issues surrounding their team chemistry for the past year. I just don't see any way that they beat the Lakers or the Jazz or possibly even the Suns in a seven-game series. So I, I know we're I'm looking way ahead to playoff standings, but in the to me, regular season basketball doesn't matter that much. I'm always looking ahead to the playoffs and what matchups and what uh, kind of changes you can make uh, in playoff strategy to affect a team. And I, I think the Clippers are kind of fraudulent in that sense, and I, I don't think uh, that their makeup – is better than any of the top three in the West right now. A lot of, a lot of good points brought up and Joel going after my, my Sixers, but no, Joel, you do bring up some good points uh, about Philly. I, I would, I will say that uh, the, the point about like Tobias and Simmons not performing the playoffs last year, I do think that mainly had to do with Brett Brown as the coach and then having Al Horford there who just completely clogged up the lane and did not spread the floor well. So I think maybe there's some room for progress there, but we'll see as we get through the season, it'll be an interesting battle at the top of the East between Brooklyn and Philly. But my team that I think is the most overrated um, is the Boston Celtics. I don't think that they're really as good as everyone makes them out to be, or as good as they would, they seemed last season. I don't really, I, I like Jason Tatum. I, I don't really, I'm not really a big fan of Jalen Brown. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if those guys can really lead a team uh, together. And they're, they're really not playing too well either. They, they're, I mean, they're 19 and 17, which, which is decent. I mean, it's good enough for fourth place in the Eastern conference, but they, they've lost to some teams that they probably shouldn't lose to. I'd say like the Pelicans, the Hawks, and you know, the wizards as well. And the Pistons too. I think that, like well, Ben like 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 Ben said, regular season basketball doesn't really matter too much. But uh, you know, just for the playoff scenes, I just don't don't see uh, things going well uh, in Boston moving forward. But then we talked about a lot of great players. So who's who's your midseason MVP? It's easy. It's James Harden. He's the midseason MVP. Uh, obviously, earlier in the podcast, I said Nikola Jokic should have a run for it. But because Denver is not winning, I wouldn't put him there. James Harden right now, Brooklyn is the second seed in the Eastern Conference. They're about to be the first. And James Harden has been averaging 25 points, 11 assists, and about nine rebounds. He's averaging pretty much a triple-double in Brooklyn. KD has not been playing most of those games. And he's been a really good defender in Brooklyn as well. He's been a really good defender these past couple of years. And I get so fed up with the narrative that he's not a good defender because if you just watch James Harden play, the heart he plays with the hustle. He just puts his all out every single play. And to this point, Harden has been the midseason MVP, but he probably won't win it because the Nets have a dream team. And because of that, no team, no player from any team that is on a stacked roster usually wins the MVP. So if I'd have to go for a safe pick, it'd probably be Joel Embiid as my midseason MVP, who's like a lot to win it. I mean, I know a certain player who won an MVP on a stacked superstar filled team, and it's the same player that I think is going to win the MVP this year. And that is the greatest player to ever grace the hardwood, LeBron James. LeBron is 36 years old or excuse. Yeah, 36 years old and still playing some of the most high-level basketball I've seen to date. I mean, 
averaging a ridiculous uh 25 8 and 8 this season. I mean, what man what can this man not do? Uh yes, the Lakers have dropped to third in the West, but the absence of Anthony Davis has been very clear uh that that's why they've dropped the 3. I just think LeBron is the most in the truest sense of the award, the most valuable player in the league right now, and I I think that he should have won MVP last year and i i think it there are narratives that always go along with that like every I, you hear every year or every few years that like oh this player deserved the mvp this year and it got made up for with this season i think it's going to be that kind of case scenario this season uh where everybody kind of thought lebron got a little bit snubbed last year and i i could very easily see lebron winning it this year uh if but I, I would say James Harden is third in my race right now just because he does have that uh, playing for a stacked team uh, narrative around him. And I, I think that is unfortunate because I, I don't like to discount players for that kind of thing because he's playing some of the best basketball. He's playing so well as a passer and making his teammates better. I mean, look at the numbers Bruce Brown's been able to put up lately because of Harden's production and uh, abilities to facilitate to uh, his secondary teammates. So I, I, I really think James Harden is having a fantastic season, but LeBron James uh, is playing incredible basketball right now. And it, it, in second place for me is probably Joel Embiid leading the Sixers to the first seed at the moment. So, uh, But overall, I think LeBron is the most valuable player right now. Both solid picks. Uh, obviously, you can never count out LeBron. And then James Harden, he's playing fantastic. And he does usually – he does make a lot of the players around him better. But uh, I don't think you guys will be surprised with who I think is a midseason MVP. And it has, I'm going – I have to go with Joel Embiid. He's averaging 30.2 points per game and he's 11.6 rebounds per game. The fact that he's 7'2 and he can move the way he does on the floor in the mid-range and – on the wing with the step back jumpers and making threes. I think he is way too good for his size and way too athletic for his size. And I think that there are a lot of players that or there's very few players in the league actually that can guard him, which is where, where it goes back to you guys saying in our previous segment where teams are just going to have to start doubling him. Cause there's a, there's no, I feel like there's no one really in the league that can really guard him because cause he's so big and so athletic uh, underneath. So I have to go with Embiid. I think he's having a special season. And especially, I think he should win it if the Sixers are able to keep that one seed and stay in first place, and like going to, and and keep up uh, in that in that race for the one seed in the East. But we're going to look at the trade Hon deadline now. Oops, sorry, go ahead. Honestly, I think that if the Sixers are able to hold on to that one seed, I think you're right. I think Embiid does win the MVP in that scenario. I just think adding Blake Griffin to a Nets team that is this hot and hasn't even been at full strength for the majority of their stretch. I I don't see any way that Philly can hold on to that number one slot. If they somehow do, then by all means, give Joel Embiid the MVP. I just don't see a scenario where you add Blake Griffin to a team with three of the best basketball players in the league and you don't end up moving, improving your record by what is it? One and a half games. Yeah. <laughs> and that they have the lead on like it, there's just no way that Philly holds on to that number one slot after uh, the Nets are able to have some more time with their three biggest superstars on the court and with Blake Griffin getting added to that equation. 
right. Um, sorry, Joel, I didn't afford to add anything, but no, you bring up a lot of good points. I think it will be tough because because you look at it, who who's going to guard each player from the Sixers? That's something I always think about because obviously probably put Simmons on Harden or Durant or, or someone like that. And then Embiid, obviously probably Griffin at this point, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but then, honestly, uh, we were going to talk about the trade deadline, but let's talk about something different. You brought up Blake Griffin going to the Nets. Uh, he recently bought out his contract with the Detroit Pistons and announced – Today, as we're recording on Sunday, uh, March 7th, that he would be si- or that rumors that he will be signing with with the Brooklyn Nets. So, guys, what are your thoughts on on, on this uh, on the, just just your first initial reaction on this signing? Uh, my first initial reaction was I, I'm not too fond of it because this season, Blake Griffin has looked horrible in, in Detroit. He's looked really bad. He's basically a spot up shooter now. He doesn't have that, that athleticism. He hasn't dunked in a game in like the past two years. So I'm not sure how he's going to look in Brooklyn. I think he is going to come off the bench though. And instead of being a spot up shooter, he will play that point forward type role because I think he's always been a really good passer. If he could even, if we can even get a glimpse of 2018 Blake Griffin, when he averaged 25 points per game, this was an awesome move. But I I like this move only because like after thinking about it, I like it because of the potential of it. This had this has a lot of potential. And I know when I first met you guys earlier this year, when I transferred to CN Hall, you know, Liam told me he was a 76ers fan. I told him I was a Nets fan. So there was a little budding rivalry between there. I told Ben, we, Ben and I had so many conversations, but when he mentioned he was a Knicks fan, I, I had to distance myself a little bit, you know, because you also said you were a Knicks fan. You introduced me to yourself to me as a Knicks fan. Don't lie. A, Don't lie rivalry, on the Internet. There's a rivalry between us because I'm a Nets fan. I, I've witnessed the Nets go 12 and 70 before. Brooke Lopez is still our points leader all time. And now that the Nets have this team, I, I just feel so grateful to be a fan and look, Ben, I know the Knicks are not good right now. Uh, they're good right now, but for the past 10 years, they have, for the past 20 years, they have been awful. So I'll say this, you stick with your team long enough, one day they are going to build a team like the Nets and they will win. Maybe Tom Thibodeau does that, maybe not, but, you know, just stick with it, remain loyal because I remain loyal. I remain loyal and now I'm getting rewarded with such an awesome team. I'm not letting you gaslight me today. I'm not letting it happen. I'm not letting you gaslight me today. You introduced yourself to me as a Knicks fan. We literally first conversation me and you had was about who we thought the Knicks were going to be drafting. You told me you were a Knicks fan, but that that's beside the point that we're not getting into that. Uh, no, I, I think Knicks are building a solid team right now. They got a lot of young talent. Obviously Tibbs is doing his thing and I think it's just going to take some time. Uh, but as for uh, this Blake Griffin signing, yes, uh, who who could have thought that the Detroit Pistons wouldn't put Blake Griffin in the best scenario to succeed? I, I'm so shocked by the Detroit Pistons, who are notorious as of late uh, for putting together such great rosters around their superstars uh, to not let uh, one that they got flourish. No, I, I think that uh, last season, Blake Griffin was not able to perform pretty much at all. Only played 18 games because of injury. And this season... Uh, only 20 games played so far and not performing to the best of his ability, only 12 points a game. Pretty, pretty shaky numbers, and I think it was 100% worth from both sides uh, this buyout. So I think adding Blake to this Nets team adds a dangerous weapon. And as for the Nets, I think 
from a business standpoint, this is low risk, high reward signing Blake Griffin uh, like this. I think uh, not having to trade for him or give up anything is huge. Not having to uh, pay that monster contract he was on is huge. So being able to add someone of this caliber and this potential and of this veteran status to a team that's uh, in such a good position as the Nets are, I think it's going to put them to just another echelon of greatness in the Eastern Conference this year. I think they are going to finish the season uh, in first place and take home that Eastern Conference uh, championship. I don't, I don't know if they'll make it to the finals. I'm not a playoff basketball, uh, uh, how you say it. Uh, I, I'm not going to try and predict the finals in March. Like it, That's just a ridiculous request to make. I think it's – too unpredictable to be doing that. But I think signing someone to the caliber and veteran status as Blake Griffin does, and someone who fits in so well with their system, uh, both on the offensive and defensive end, uh, could really, really benefit the Nets in a time like this. Yeah, I I think it's an interesting signing. And obviously, Blake Griffin's always been a talented player. So who's to say he can't get that talent? He can't move back into that. Blake Griffin was always Colin was that was that player I was like oh I forgot about him you know and he's one of the Pistons you know the Clippers but when after he was on the Clippers but I think he could he could bring a lot to that team but guys real quick we're talking about the trade deadline we do have a lot some other topics to get to so we're gonna do one question real quick about the trade deadlines March 25th so it's fastly approaching uh in about 18 days around there um so what what are some big name players guys that you have who could find a new home uh, on March 25th or before then? I have one player that comes to mind, and he can help out the Boston Celtics. That's Nikola Vucevic. I think right now the Magic are not very good. They have a ceiling. Nikola Vucevic, there's really no point in keeping him. And the Celtics need a center. They have always needed a center. That's their position that they lack the most. So maybe they can try and trade for Nikola Vucevic. The Boston Celtics have a $28 million trade exception. So they don't have to match contracts. They just have to pretty much trade a good player. Maybe Aaron Neesmith is that guy paying Pritchard and some first-round picks. I don't think that'll get it done. Maybe they can trade Kemba Walker to Orlando. The reason why that could make sense and it works is because Steve Clifford coached Kemba when they were in Charlotte together. And Kemba is, is I think he's kind of past his prime, but... On a team like Orlando, he could average 27 points per game still. Orlando needs a point guard. And now with Vucevic gone, you can allow Mo Bamba to flourish. So maybe it would make sense, but I don't think Orlando would want to pay Kemba Walker that much money. And at this point, it just seems like Boston is in a bad situation because they haven't been hitting on their draft picks that we praised them for having for so many years. They missed on Romeo Langford, and it seems like they're, they have missed on Aaron Neesmith. Because of that, it's going to be hard to trade for a big-name player like Vucevic. Yeah, I think as much as everybody likes to talk about, oh, Danny Ainge is so good at acquiring all these draft picks, he doesn't really do anything with them. He, he drafts guys who are middle rotation players at best, and uh, that's not how you build a winning team as a GM. So I, I think you're right that Boston uh, has kind of put themselves into a corner roster-wise, and it's definitely limiting their potential uh, especially with Kemba playing as shoddily as he has so far this season but as for a specific guy I'd like to see traded 
uh, this uh, trade deadline coming up. I would I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the Atlanta Hawks now that knowing uh, they. Uh, haven't been able to really put together this young, talented roster that they thought they might have had coming into the season. A lot of people had really high hopes uh, for them. I think they could end up moving John Collins. It's about time uh, to pay him, and he's going to be a restricted free agent this offseason. And uh, they've been having a lot of success with Danilo Gallinari at the four spot as of late. He's been uh, shooting threes really well over their last 10 games. So I, I think the Atlanta Hawks are – potentially ready to move on from John Collins. And I, I just don't know if he's the best. Like, I think John Collins is a very good player. And I think he has some of the best athleticism as a four, as we've seen since a guy like Blake Griffin, who we obviously talked about earlier. Uh, but I, I just don't know if he's the right fit for that Atlanta team. So I wouldn't be surprised seeing him moved uh, to a team that is trying to make a playoff push and needs some uh, energy and athleticism either off the bench or like uh, in that starting four role in for a team that needs that. And another power forward who I think could get moved is Lori Markin and Wendell Carter Jr. is obviously at this point, the superior big man, uh, young big man in that Chicago front court. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Lori Markin get shifted to another team and have his talents used to a, a better degree elsewhere. I mean, he's a solid three point shooter. He can do it. Uh, from everywhere offensively, both down low and from deep. But he, he's always had struggles on the defensive end. And I think uh, with a team like Chicago that needs defense, I, I think that uh, Chicago could end up moving him uh, for someone who's a better fit for their lineup. In fact, I think a really interesting move would be um, – moving both Markinen and Levine. Not that Levine needs to be moved, but of course there's been talks of turmoil with him and, and that organization uh, throughout the last year or so. So I wouldn't be surprised if both of them are moved in some sort of three-team package, but I think more likely uh, Markinen gets moved out of those two. Yeah, a lot of interesting uh, players, a lot of big-name players, very good players that could be moved. I Joel, it is interesting your your Vucevic for um for Kemba trade that I that'd be interesting to see that that go down and see Kemba in Orlando how that would look. Another name I want to throw out there that there has been talks about a veteran point guard Kyle Lowry. Uh, there has been talks about him getting traded, uh, so it would be interesting to see where he goes. There has been talks about the Sixers, but uh, not too sure about that one. But now I think we've 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 done a good amount of NBA talk. Let's move back to the gridiron you know the super bowl happened not too too long ago but there's always big news happening in the nfl and the biggest jj watts announcing he's signing with the arizona cardinals and the source is jj watt so guys what are your thoughts on this initially when you first found out my thoughts was wow i'm really surprised i thought it was going to be the bills the packers the browns jj watt surprised all of us but I think the Cardinals are now going to have the best pass rushing duo in the NFL. Chandler Jones is an elite pass rusher. So is J.J. Watt. They had the 12th ranked defense last season, and Chandler Jones only played five games. So now adding in Watt, a healthy Chandler Jones, they're going to be dominant. I can't. I, I know Ben over here made a facial expression. I want to hear a better duo than Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt because both of them, have like they're one and two in terms of most sacks since I think 2018. So they have really produced at a high level. And 
even though J.J. Watt was signed to the Cardinals, I don't know the Cardinals ceiling as a team. We'll get into that a little bit later, but I'm still kind of very hesitant on how they're going to look as a whole. I th- No, don't get me wrong. I don't think that they're a bad pass rushing duo at all. I think, of course, you mentioned statistically uh, they've got the most sacks out of any duo uh, in the past decade or so. I just think J.J.'s a little past his prime. I think, trust me, I think he can be a great contributor. I think he had a very good second half of this past season. Of course, uh, he ended up, I think, scoring a touchdown uh, and getting a couple uh, pair of interceptions, I believe. Uh, if not, he was definitely forcing some turnovers during this second half of the season. I, I But I really do think this uh, – implementation of bringing J.J. Watt onto this Cardinals team is huge. As you said, uh, Chandler Jones was limited to only a few games this season, and even still, uh, the Cardinals were top 10 in pass rush pressures uh, this season, and I I think they have a fantastic – I think the Arizona Cardinals have the best, most underrated linebacker crew in all of football. Hassan Reddick is a tremendous talent. Marcus Golden is a fantastic uh, linebacker at both stopping the run and uh, rushing the passer. And I think Isaiah Simmons had a very solid rookie year, and Devin Kennard is also a very solid linebacker. So I think adding uh, – Front to uh, a front end combo of JJ Watt and Chandler Jones in front of that linebacker crew is going to make uh, that Arizona front seven even more dangerous than it already is. And uh, there's talks that the as a whole, I think this defense has the potential uh, to move into that top five range. I mean, I know there have been talks for years now of them moving Patrick Peterson, and it sounds like they made this offseason. But uh, I don't think it matters that much in terms of secondary just because I think Drake Kirkpatrick had a really, really good bounce-back year. Uh, it seems like leaving Cincinnati was a big part of why he was able to have so much success in Arizona uh, this year. And I think Byron Murphy is a true number one quarterback corner in this league so I think as a whole the cohesiveness that J.J. Watt is able to bring to this defense especially uh, the veteran leadership he's able to bring uh, is going to really be able to make an impact on this Arizona D and I I think that this is going to be a big signing both as a veteran presence in that locker room and as a player on the field who can still produce even at uh, his age and I I know his production's gone down I know he's battled with injuries but I think J.J. Watt's a really special player uh, both uh, on and off the field and I think that he's going to bring in a culture to that Arizona locker room that's going to be able to foster some more success uh, and bring them to uh, be one of the upper echelon defenses in this league. Yeah, I'd say any team that that, that was that is lucky enough to sign J.J. Watt is, go, is getting a great player and that they're very lucky uh, that they get him. But uh, I, I, was, I was very interested. I thought there was an interesting move. Like, you know, I didn't expect really the Cardinals. I don't think they were one of the top teams people always talked about when – he had been released. They were like, oh, where's J.J. Walker decide? It's not like everyone's like, oh, he's going to Arizona. You know what I mean? Um, but so Joel led into it a little bit. So this this the Cardinals are in probably the toughest division in football. So how, how I mean, how do you think this goes? Because they got to go against Seahawks, Rams, and then the, the Niners might be making a comeback this year. You don't know if they'll be better. Um, so what's their ceiling? How, how far can this team go now with the addition of J.J. Watt? Their ceiling is a good playoff team, but by no means are they a Super Bowl contender. And Ben, you mentioned some good defensive players like Hassan Reddick, Devon Kennard, Marcus Golden, and Drake Kirkpatrick. Most of them are free agents. Hassan Reddick is a free agent. 
Um, Devon Kennard is a free agent. Marcus Golden is a free agent. Uh, Drake Kirkpatrick is a free agent. And the Cardinals only have $12 million in cap space to sign those guys. Hassan Reddick is most likely out. He plays a Sam linebacker role. And because Chandler Jones plays that same position, they're not going to bring him back. And as a whole, I think Patrick Peterson is gone as well. The Cardinals have no corners. And outside of um, outside of Buda Baker, they don't have another safety. Jalen Thompson played okay, but he's an average safety at best. They don't have any corners. And you mentioned Byron Murphy. I think he's more of a slot than number one. He struggles playing on the outside. They need to get cornerback help, which is why I think in the first round of this draft, they're going to try to go after J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertain, or Caleb Farley. But their secondary needs a lot of help. And when you look at their offense, DeAndre Hopkins, yes, he's phenomenal. But what what other weapons do they have? Christian Kirk is okay. He kind of runs into a lot of traffic and kind of loses yardage a lot. And Larry Fitzgerald is really old. I don't know if they're going to bring him back. They need a true number two receiver next to DeAndre Hopkins, and they don't have a good tight end. And Kenyon Drake is a free agent as well. So they need to bring in some weapons on offense. Their defense really lacks secondary help. And I'm not really sure if they can beat the Rams, 49ers, or Seahawks. I think the 49ers will have a bounce-back season. I know Jimmy Garoppolo has, oh, my gosh, the, the disrespect to Jimmy G has been immense this offseason. He's a really good quarterback. And if the 49ers stay healthy, I think they'll win a division. Rams come in second with Stafford, and the Seahawks will be third. And Cardinals fourth. Yeah, I didn't realize their free agent situation on the defensive side, but uh, I still think they'll be able to bring back some of that talent, of course, and I, I think they'll be able to fill holes where uh, where need be. Uh, but yeah, I, I overall as to where they can finish and where they can uh, get to, I, I don't think uh, the Cardinals can do much more than a wild card appearance. I, while I think J.J. Watt is a fantastic signing for them and brings a lot of uh, veteran leadership to that defense, and he he's still a very good player in his own right, I, I don't think that this addition uh, puts them anywhere near the caliber of the Rams. I mean, that Rams defense was so dominant last year, and they just uh, had a massive improvement by acquiring Matt Stafford, and I think Matt Stafford's going to be able to lead them to an NFC West title this season. I don't know if I'm as high on the Seahawks as I once was. I think they're kind of perennially becoming a, a, a fraudulent team, especially in the second half of these seasons. Uh, they just don't seem to have it down the stretch, and I, I think we could be seeing uh, the end of the Pete Carroll era this upcoming season. I wouldn't be surprised by that, but I, I agree with you. I think that uh, the Niners are still a very competitive team. I think if it wasn't for all those injuries on both sides of the ball last season, uh, they would have been definitely in the playoffs at least. And uh, so I, I think the Cardinals still are – are going to be a solid team. I think the NFC West is honestly the most competitive division in football. And I, I think that J.J. Watt coming to Arizona is huge for their defense, but I don't think it really changes the trajectory of their season or what they can do in that really tough division. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how the Cardinals do in that division because obviously with Stafford uh, coming to L.A., an exciting time there for the Rams with that solid defense. Could do a lot, but we're going to move to another player who recently um, signed a new or had his contract restructured as the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, restructured their uh, Ben Roethlisberger's contract to bring him back. Um, 
Roethlisberger getting up there in age, guys. Uh, do you think this is the right move? Do you think they should have kept him, or do you think they made the wrong choice? There's no doubt about it that this was the right move because, one, his cap hit was enormous. It was like $40 million. Restructuring that contract frees up a lot of cap space for the Steelers to re-sign key players like Juju, Tyson Alguwalu, and more. So this was huge, and I know everybody likes to be down on Big Ben. He, he's coming off an elbow surgery, and he threw 33 touchdowns and 10 interceptions with Randy Fitchner as their offensive coordinator, and he was probably one of the worst OCs in football last season. I think ben, Big Ben still has a lot left in the tank, maybe two good good to great seasons. And when we're on, if we're talking honestly, what other options do the Steelers have? Move to Dwayne Haskins? Whether they're, where they're picking in a the draft, they're not going to get a guy like Mac Jones or Trey Lancer, one of the top QBs in his draft. And in free agency, are they, are they going to go for Jacoby Brissett or trade for Sam Darnold? I, I, it just makes no sense. There's no quarterback right now that can replace what Big Ben brings. So I think it was, it was a must-have move to restructure his contract and keep him in a Steelers uniform. I think the move makes sense to restructure his contract and be able to bring back guys like Juju potentially. But, I mean, of course, free agencies, free agencies. We don't know 100% what's going to happen with some of those contract scenarios. I just think it was very, very evident to anybody who's watching those Steelers games at last six games of that season and in the playoffs that Ben Roethlisberger is not capable of leading this Pittsburgh team to any level of serious playoff success anymore he can't throw the ball down the field with any accuracy whatsoever and he was throwing ducks he was making bad reads the stats are not great under 4,000 yards 33 touchdowns was an impressive number for sure uh, at his age and his caliber uh, this past season but I I just think it was very evident by watching that Steelers offense this year that they were being held back uh, by Ben's presence under center. And I, I don't think he's the right man for the job. Would it have created a very difficult task for their front office this offseason to either decide to make a trade for uh, one of these quarterbacks that's available, uh, build through the draft, kind of maybe fall out of contention for a year? I think it is a very difficult situation and it's not to say it's an easier route to just keep going with Ben, but I just don't see any scenario where he brings them to the level of success that they want to be at with as talented of a defense as they have. And I, I just don't think that Ben is capable of bringing them to any sort of playoff success uh, with his abilities at the moment. He he was not able to throw the ball uh, consistently more than 20 yards downfield uh, toward the end of the season. And it was evident that he was holding that offense back. Yeah, I agree. I didn't, I, I mean, I didn't really like it for the Steelers at first, just because I feel like they, it's, I feel like it's time for them to move on uh, from Roethlisberger and, you know, you, but Joel, I think you bring up a good point. Who, who are you going to get to fill those shoes? You could have take, you could take the chance trying to trade for Deshaun Watson and you could take, you could take, take the chance on Sam Darnold, but who knows what he's going to turn out to be at a, in a new, in a new place. Um, so it is interesting, but I think it's probably the safe bet just to stick with Roethlisberger because say you trade for Watson, you're going to have to give up uh, one of your, 
a very exciting young players and offensive weapons, probably. Uh, probably. Uh, but then speaking of Deshaun Watson, we're going to talk about him a little bit. And an update, he's still on the Texans. So um, there, he, no move has been made with Deshaun Watson yet. Uh, but guys, what, what do you, what's the holdup? What do you guys, what do you guys think is going on? The holdup is that if the Texans were to trade Deshaun Watson right now, they would have a $20 million dead cap hit, which would basically destroy any sort of free agent signings that the Texans can make. I think this is the Texans thinking right now. They're doing everything possible to keep Deshaun Watson, which is what I would do as well. They can go out of free agency and probably try to sign some um, high-profile guard like a Joe Thune or a Corey Lindsley, maybe bring them to Houston and show Deshaun Watson, look, we have some good offensive linemen that, so you don't get hit anymore. Will Fuller will probably be back. And if they trade Deshaun Watson after June 1st, they'll only have a $10 million dead cap hit, which is why I think he'll be traded after June 1st, if anything. But I also think the Texans organization is extremely stubborn and they don't want to give Deshaun Watson power because I think this move can potentially lead to a player empowerment movement within the entire NFL because Deshaun Watson is forcing his way out. So if this really gets ugly and messy, I wouldn't be surprised if Deshaun Watson threatens to retire, kind of like Carson Palmer did with the Bengals back in 2013, I believe, when he when he threatened the Bengals and then they traded him. This has happened in the past. Barry Sanders retired from the Lions because the Lions didn't want to trade him. Calvin Johnson did the same thing. So something similar can happen. But the only difference between those guys and Deshaun Watson is that Deshaun Watson has only gotten his rookie contract money thus far. Is he going to really give up a second contract worth $100 billion to prove a point? I'm not sure to go that far, but it's something to really look into. No, I pretty much 100% agree with you. This is all about uh, front office semantics and Jack Easterby being a literal con man. There's no reason that that man should be uh, in this much of in this high of a position in a professional football organization, and he's absolutely just tanking this organization uh, from the top down. And I think it's it's really sad to see. Uh, a situation where uh, young talent at the quarterback position is in this uh, tough of a spot where it's obvious that his organization isn't reciprocating uh, the amount of effort and energy he puts in to the organization. And Deshaun's fed up. He needs to find a new situation to succeed because it's not going to come uh, in Houston. Because, And I think you're spot on where you're saying it's they're going to trade him after uh, is it June 1st? Yeah, June 1st, uh, when it is less of a cap hit. Because it, it's just all about the money they're going to be able to spend. And it, it's unfortunate that it comes down to that. But, I mean, NFL is a business, and it's always going to be a business. So I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if uh, Deshaun tries to pull the retire card at all. Uh, I, I just think it's a really bad situation for everyone involved because uh, the Texans organization is an absolute mess. They have no idea how to build a successful football team. And uh, Deshaun Watson deserves to be in a place uh, where he can uh, succeed as both a player uh, at, at the quarterback position and a person within an organization that cares about him 
and cares about the other players within that organization. And Houston is not that kind of situation. I, I really think it's just going to come down to we need to wait and see uh, who fills what holes at quarterbacks around the league via either the draft or other free agency and trade moves uh, in the coming months. And I think it's just going to take time. Deshaun, there's no way Deshaun Watson suits up in a Houston Texans uniform next season. And I think it's just going to take some time uh, both to work the money out on the business end and to work out the trade uh, uh, from a uh, front office perspective. So I, I think it's just all about time. And I, I think it's, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. Deshaun Watson doesn't want to be there. So he's not going to be there uh, when football starts getting played in late August, September. Yeah, I agree that Deshaun Watson's never going to play another game for the Houston Texans. And uh, Joel, that was interesting. You brought that up. I didn't know about that the whole June 1st and like the 10 million, uh, cap des- deficit thing so that definitely makes sense i'd say expect a trade then uh from the tech of deshaun watson uh, after june 1st um but then my next question for you guys is kind of like a two-parter so first part is where do you guys want to see deshaun watson end up and then the next part is where will where do you think realistically he will end up so guys take it away so uh, just talking back about the, the cap hit point, even though it would be smart for the Texans to do it after June 1st, the draft is before then. So if they don't trade him before the draft, they aren't going to capitalize on any of those picks. So they are in a tricky situation. We'll see how stubborn they will be. But as to where I think, where I want Deshaun Watson to go, I'm a New York Jets fan, but it's not the New York Jets because we're sitting pretty at the number two pick and we can have Zach Wilson. Personally, I'd rather build around Zach Wilson moving forward than Deshaun Watson because Zach Wilson is going to be a superstar. The only thing that concerns me about Zach Wilson is his durability because he has dealt with some injuries. But as a player, when you hear that there's not much of a separation between him and Trevor Lawrence, there really isn't. And the Jets might have lucked into Zach Wilson by not getting the number one pick. But Deshaun Watson, two places, Carolina and Chicago. Chicago, there's been reports that Chicago was willing to go all in on a Deshaun Watson trade. So that would be cool. But I would like to see Deshaun Watson in Carolina have Joe Brady as offensive coordinator, Matt Rule, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey. I think that offense would be explosive. I would really like to see him in Carolina. I think it's tough to say where I want Deshaun Watson to go because there's a lot of teams. This there's I think the honestly overall the thing I'm most excited about this NFL offseason is that there's going to be so much quarterback movement and shifting around the league, both through the draft because there are about four or five guys who could go in the first round at the quarterback position, as well as so many uh, names that are going to be shifting to be a free agent or via trade so there's a lot of quarterback situations for a lot of different teams that are up in the air but as for uh the situations i think suit deshaun watson best i think it would be really interesting to see deshaun watson to to my dismay uh as a giants fan go to the washington football team i think the washington football team would be a really interesting fit for deshaun watson i think they have plenty of assets to give up both in draft pick stock and uh, in solid players that they have to give up 
Uh, they have all their draft picks for the next few years. They have uh, as much as they need to give up for Watson, and they also have some talent on that team that's able to be moved. So I think if you could pair uh, Deshaun Watson with a great true number one receiver uh, like uh, Terry McLaurin is, as well as get some more weapons either through the draft or through free agency over the next year or so uh, to – Pin him with there in Washington. I think that could be interesting. I think Antonio Gibson had a really promising rookie season at the halfback position for them. Uh, but I think Washington would be a good fit. I And I totally agree uh, with you on Carolina, Joel. I think Carolina might be the best fit for Deshaun uh, just because I think that Carolina is a quarterback away and some defensive pieces as well, of course, just because they did struggle on that end of the ball uh, from being a really talented, dangerous team. I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is a starting capable quarterback in this league anymore. I think he he had a solid season, but he made too many mistakes uh, during very regular uh, plays that and just so many misreads during this season that I, I think a player of Deshaun Watson's caliber, uh, I think Deshaun Watson in the right situation can be a top five quarterback year in year out. And I, I think Carolina with the weapons they have with uh, Robbie Anderson and Christian McCaffrey and so many other guys, cause uh, isn't Curtis Samuel a free agent. Yeah. He's a free agent. So he could go back there. He might not, but I, I think uh, Carolina would be a fantastic fit of a dual threat quarterback to play next to someone as dynamic as Christian McCaffrey. I think that would be a, perfect fit for Deshaun so I, I think Carolina might be the best fit but in terms of like what I think would be really interesting and could kind of shift how uh, the, the NFC looks for the foreseeable future I think the Washington football team would be a really interesting place to go and it would certainly hurt me and you Liam <laughs> yeah I would not be too happy to see uh, Watson go to the Washington football team to have to deal with him twice a year um, but I think I think I, I really like the Carolina idea. I think him in that offense would be really cool. Uh, Chicago is a good a good option too. I think. Um, but one one team that I I thought of that probably won't happen. I uh, just because I haven't looked into the numbers and everything of it, but or what what could happen. But I think it'd be cool to see Deshaun Watson in Minnesota with all the the wide receiving core they have with Thielen. And you have Justin Jefferson as well and Dalvin Cook there too. I think that would be a good fit with just that offense. I know, Ben, you want to say something about that? I don't think you you don't like that. I think, better than Kirk Cousins. Oh, he's definitely better than Kirk Cousins. <laughs> I just think that the Minnesota Vikings are uh, perennial frauds. Yeah, that, that is true. But I just think it would be cool to see him with all those talented players. But, but yeah, but maybe Deshaun Watson could change that about them and make them perennial that's true he he is that kind of caliber player yeah i don't know i that that probably is not gonna happen but i just thought it'd be cool to think about him playing with Thielen, jefferson and cook um but now now i think we're gonna move on from the nfl and we're gonna talk a little baseball i know ben's excited for this one probably he's a big baseball guy but spring training started up recently and you know then uh here here we're here we are in the north jersey area and the big teams, the Mets and the Yankees, and we're going to take a look at the Yankees. For, we're going to take a look at how good each team could be, and then, you know, if things go south, well, what's the worst-case worst scenario? So we're going to start with the Yankees. 
What's the Yankees ceiling uh, for this season? The New York Yankees ceiling is winning the World Series. And I feel like I've said this every year for the past three years. And it's because I have said this every year for the past three years. And every year for the past three years, I've been severely disappointed. So I think that the Yankees have all the talent in the world to be able to get to the World Series and win the World Series. It's just about staying healthy and being able to have consistent pitching down the stretch and have consistent hitting uh, down the stretch as well. You can't go into the playoffs every year and not know who in your bullpen is hot or not, not know whether Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, and other players in that lineup are going to be able to stay on the field. It's been just a it's been such a terrible uh, medically related experience as a Yankee fan these past few years because they have all the talent in the world. They just can't stay healthy and they can't stay hot at the right time. So if the Yankees are able to just keep everyone on the field and at the bare minimum, just consistent, they have all all the pieces they could possibly need to win a world series. And they, they just have so much power from the top to the bottom of that lineup and so much depth in the outfield. And uh, I think the pitching situation is better than people give them credit for after uh, losing Massa this off season and uh, the injuries Luis Severino's had to deal with as of late, it's been very frustrating uh, to see this Yankees starting rotation struggle so much, but I mean, Garrett Cole is the best pitcher in baseball hands down. And I think the Corey Kluber signing this off season, uh, while many people think Kluber's past is prime, I think becoming uh, a true uh part and like an integral part of this Yankees rotation is going to be big. I think Davey Garcia is about to have a fantastic sophomore season. He's one of the most exciting young pitchers in the league. And of course, uh, having Luis Severino healthy once again, uh, I don't know if he'll be healthy for opening day. I don't think so. Uh, but he will be very early into the season and he'll be able to uh, play a major part in that uh, pitching staff and the return of Domingo Herman. Of course, he just uh, served uh, his suspension uh, after a domestic violence incident, which was horrible. And he's uh, had a lot of discussions with his teammates and the media as of late, uh, trying to rebuild his reputation. And it was horrible what he did and really unforgivable. But I mean, it this is a business. He's back. He's playing baseball again. And hopefully he can get back to uh being as dominant as he was on the mound during his rookie season, one of the best young fireballers in the league. I, I think the Yankees have all the talent they could possibly need to win a World Series if they can just stay consistent at the plate, have guys like Gary Sanchez hit for power and not make tons of costly errors and mistakes down the stretch, and if they can just stay healthy. Oh, my God. If the Yankees can stay healthy, I will be the happiest little boy in – the New York, New Jersey area. Personally, for me, I think that the Yankees are frauds. Maybe their ceiling is World Series because they have the talent, but my team, we, my team is legitimately, we are contenders. I'm a Los Angeles Dodgers fan. I've been a fan since they won a World Series this past year, and I'm so happy about that. The Dodgers have immense talent, way more than the Yankees, but I'll say this about the Yankees. They had one job to do, and that was to sign back DJ LeMayhew, and they did that. So you got to give them credit there. 
Tanaka did leave, and that's a huge loss. And listen, Corey Kluber, while that may be, it could be a good signing, he's past his prime. In 2019, he was hampered with injuries. The same thing, Ben, that you're worried about. So in 2020, if he's hampered by injuries, this bullpen could be struggling. And personally, I don't think the Yankees' ceiling is World Series. I think they can be a good playoff team. But we know in baseball, it's all about what team gets hot at the right time. We'll see if that's the Yankees, but I don't believe they can take down my Dodgers. My Dodgers are up there. We got the most talent in the league, and I believe in them. You're saying you're Dodgers and saying you became a fan after this World Series. That's hilarious. You're, you're a trip, man. You're, you're like, I, I love you. Like, bro, that's crazy. That's just a wild thing to say. <laughs> Joel, I appreciate your honesty uh, that you became a fan after they won the World Series, but <laughs> but yeah, I think the I think it's the same story as always. The Yankees ceiling is they could win the World Series, uh, but then let's stick with the Yankees. Well, let's look on the flip side. W- worst case scenario, what's the what's their floor? What's the worst possible thing that could happen to the Yankees this season? Worst possible thing that happened to the Yankees this season is they win the AL East with relative ease. I just I don't think there's any competition. I think the Toronto Blue Jays are going to make massive strides uh, towards uh, being in a very improved team this season. I think the Red Sox are a joke. I think the Orioles are a joke. I think Tampa Bay is a really, really good team. They have all the potential uh, to win the division as well as the Yankees. I mean, past few years, it's been back and forth, as we've all seen. Uh, I think Tampa is one of the most talented teams in baseball. But, uh, of course, they had uh, some roster moves this offseason. Blake Snell is now San Diego Padre and some other uh, roster changes down there in Tampa. And uh, I I just think that – the, min- the bare minimum this Yankee team does is win the AL East and then lose in the first round of playoffs. I think uh, NLDS – or ALDS, excuse me. Uh, playoff baseball is playoff baseball. It's the most unpredictable uh, sporting series in all of athletics. So I, I think uh, – I hate predicting playoff baseball because literally anything can happen. Uh, but I, I think bare minimum – AL East pennant and first round exit, I guess. Worst case scenario for the Yankees is not winning a World Series because that's what the fans expect year in and year out. That's that's the expectation for the New York Yankees. And if they don't win the World Series, it doesn't matter how far they go in the playoffs. It's a disappointing season. And that can that's the absolute that's the absolute worst thing for a Yankees fan as like on the flip side for the Mets, if the Mets make the playoffs, it's a dream come true. You know, everybody's excited, but for the Yankees, you're right, Ben, if they just manage to win the AL East, then I guess, and, and losing the playoffs, that's the worst case scenario for a lot of fans. Yeah. I think definitely a worst case scenario is probably yeah, like first round exit in the playoffs. Not like that, not, not, not making the world series is probably what it is, is that because that's just what the Yankees in the past three years, they've been expected to make it there. Um, but now we're going to move from the Bronx to Queens where the Mets are. Uh, so take a look at the Mets. They're, they're an interesting team. So what do you guys think? Like the, the Mets ceiling is this season. The Mets ceiling is a playoff team. I think winning the national league isn't, is, you know, it's there. It could happen. I know there are other good teams. Like we have, the Padres are there, the Braves, and also I'm pretty sure the Dodgers as well are in the National League, so it's going to be tough. But they got a new owner, Stephen Cohen. He's one of the richest owners in baseball. He's a Mets fan, and he's hell-bent on bringing great baseball 
to the New York Mets. They went out and they traded for Francisco Lindor, who's a really great player. They signed, I believe, um, Carlos Carrasco to help out that bullpen. So I think they're going to be a really good team. They are a sleeper team. And when we talk about the Yankees versus Mets, I know that rivalry is always brewing. This may be the year that the Mets can surpass the Yankees and surprise a lot of people because they do have a lot of talent on that team. And I think Stephen Cohen is only looking to make even more moves. And outside of the Dodgers, I'm a Mets fan. That's my second favorite team. You know, I like the colors, even though I don't like the Knicks. But, uh, yep, I think the Mets can be that sleeper team in MLB, in the base, in baseball this season. Yeah, I think the Mets made a lot of fantastic moves this offseason. I really respect what Steve Cohen's been able to bring to this organization, and he's definitely trying to rebuild uh, that franchise and having a winning culture. But uh, at the end of the day, the NL East is probably the most competitive top-to-bottom division in baseball. The Phillies made a lot of improvements this offseason. Uh, the Marlins were able to show some promise last season, and the Braves uh, are – if not uh, the uh, the the Braves are definitely top three in terms of just pure talent on that roster uh, in the NL. So I, I think that uh, the Mets have a tough task ahead of them. How I do think they're in a much better position than they have been as of late. I mean, I, I think they've got a lot of talent on that team right now. Bringing in Dellen Batances uh, last season, I think, was a good move for them, and now uh, having a top two of Jacob deGrom and Marcus Stroman. I I think Marcus Stroman has the potential to win the Cy Young in the NL this year. I think the Mets are in a very good position to have a lot of success uh, this season. I think uh, Francisco Lindor getting traded there is huge for them. I think it fills a hole that they've needed at shortstop for a long time now. I think it opens up uh, what you can have Jeff McNeil doing, whether they're going to put him at second or left field. Who knows? They can't make up their mind. Uh, with that, it seems by the day, I think, I think personally, I think the best situation for them to deal uh, with Jeff McNeil is put him at second base and put either Brandon Nimmo or Dominic Smith out and left. That's just me though. I mean, everybody has their own opinion on uh, where Jeff McNeil should be playing. No matter what, I think he should be playing <laughs> somewhere. Uh, he's too big of a talent to be keeping on your bench. So uh, I-, I think that they've got a lot of talent. Pete Alonzo, one of the best young players in baseball, uh, I, I think the Mets are in a very good position uh, to be having a lot of success. And James McCann uh, getting his shine at the catcher spot, I think it's going to be a really interesting season for this New York Mets team. I don't think uh, that Mets fans should have this World Series or bus expectation like some of them are wildly uh, having. I, I think you just need to keep your emotions in check and be able to understand that baseball is a very, very complicated sport. It's not always about just the pure talent you have on that roster. It's about the cohesiveness and how uh, hot you're able to get at certain times throughout the season. So I, I think the Mets have all the tools they need uh, to make the playoffs in some capacity, whether it's an NL East uh, division title. Uh, I, I, I don't think they can win that division over the Braves. Uh, I, I just don't see it happening, but I, I think they're a very talented team who will certainly make the playoffs in the NL this season. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you, Ben. I think I think they could finish like maybe like top two in the NL East. Like that's like if they if everything's going right for them, and maybe like get a wild card spot uh, in the playoffs. I, I could see that happening. But and then on the flip side of that question, so I mean, every if everything does not everything just goes off the rails, 
there at City Field, what's the worst possible thing or the, the, the their floor uh, for this seal for this season? I think the floor is missing the playoffs for them after all the moves that they made this offseason, after the excitement of getting a new owner in Cohen. The floor is not making the playoffs because that would really put a stunt on all of the excitement that's going on right now around that organization. hundred percent. If the Mets miss the playoffs, that's a massive disappointment. You can't, uh, I mean, you can't always control your circumstances. There's injuries. There's uh, other teams getting hot at the right and wrong times. I mean, it, it's, it's going to be a tough season for this Mets team. They're going to have to rely on more than just uh, their ability to bring in lots of new talent this off season. Uh, I think they, they have a lot of work to do as a team and building that chemistry uh, from top to bottom. And I think they have, they have some questions in their lineup uh, on a day-to-day basis. I don't think there are uh, clear signs or whatnot of who to play at certain places on a daily basis. Like I said, there's a whole Jeff McNeil situation that is somehow hasn't been cleared up in these past two seasons. Uh, It's still a question mark for them. So I I think they definitely have some things to figure out. They're not just because you bring in a lot of talent doesn't mean that talent's going to work together. Uh, So I think that the, their floor is definitely uh, missing the playoffs. It's hard to make the playoffs in baseball, man. It, it's not uh, a lock for a lot of teams like it is in other leagues. And I, I think uh, that the Mets definitely have the potential. They they have a lot of potential and they have a lot of improved talent on that roster this season. I, I just don't think I don't think they'll miss the playoffs, but I think it would it's not uh, crazy to say it's possible that they do. Yeah, I think the I think the biggest disappointment or would probably be not making the playoffs, especially with all the new moves they've done and the new owner too. And and Ben, you're absolutely right. It's not easy to make the playoffs in baseball. And I think like even making it there is probably is, is a very good is a very big accomplishment uh, for any team, especially when you're in division, uh, which is huge. But very quickly, guys, is there any other team that you've seen uh, at training camp uh, recent or, a, or a spring training uh, that you think's uh, really looking good? The Dodgers. We're going to repeat. I think the Phillies have impressed. I mean, this past uh, week against the Yankees, they had a victory uh, where they shut the Yankees out 15 nothing. I mean, it was just a dominant performance. Of course, uh, to me, spring training baseball doesn't matter, like in the slightest. There's not a single thing that I take away from spring training baseball ever. I, in, in all honesty, I don't think it should be necessary for your star players to even play in spring training. I think it's just exciting for the fans uh, sometimes. And I, I think it gets players back into a rhythm, but I, I, w- I don't take any value in spring training, whether players are hot or cold uh, down in Florida and Arizona. So I, I mean, there, there's not a ton to take away uh, from spring training personally, but as for some teams that I think could surprise some people uh, throughout the season, I think the Brewers are, are a really solid team. I think they have all the potential in the world uh, to win that NL Central over the heavy favorited Cardinals now that the Cardinals have Nolan Arenado. But I, I still think uh, the Brewers are have all the potential to win that division. Uh, and then uh, over in the AL, I think a team that could end up surprising some people is the Los Angeles Angels. I, I think um, that this is potentially the year they're able to put things together over in the AL West. Uh, the A's are sounding like they're not going to be as competitive as they have been these past few years. And I don't know uh, the state of the Astros at this point, uh, how how they're going to be able to manage 
uh, without George Springer on that team anymore. So I, I think that uh, it's going to be – the AL West race is going to be really interesting to me because that division's had a lot of uh, changes from most of the teams there, and there's still some moves yet to be made. So I, I think uh, that that's going to be really interesting. Yeah, a lot of good teams there, Dodgers, Brewers, Angels, Phillies. I, I think the Phillies have looked good. I think Bryce Harper has looked solid. He's looked very good down there. Um, but then, all right, so that'll wrap up the Major League Baseball part. There's there's one last thing that we're going to touch on very quickly that happened in the NHL that I kind of want to get your guys' opinion on. So Capitals forward Tom Wilson was suspended seven games by the NHL Department of Player Safety for boarding Bruins defenseman Brandon Carlo in the first period of the Capitals' 5-1 to loss to them. This is, this is Wilson's fifth suspension. So kind of looking at, at the at this play, do you think it was warranted? And you know, at what and then and another part, since it's his fifth suspension, at what point does this become a problem? Where do you draw the line with a guy like this who's a constant problem? Tom Wilson is one of the dirtiest players I've ever seen play hockey. Tom Tom Wilson has no respect for other players on the ice, and uh, this is not his. It's far from his first time making a dirty late hit on any player. And Brandon Carlo was absolutely defenseless, uh, and Wilson just came up full speed rammed his head into the wall. And that was after they had some chippy play earlier in that period. So I, I think uh, this suspension was definitely warranted. I think Tom Wilson deserves a longer suspension and a bigger fine than he already got. And I, I think it's just ridiculous that we're still having to go through the song and dance with this player. I mean, he's been suspended five times in the past uh, four seasons or something. Uh, but, but especially uh, back in the playoffs in 2018, when, uh, he hit uh, Zach Austin Reese. Uh, Tom Wilson is not a respectable player in this league. He he's a solid player, but he he is just not uh, a guy I respect uh, amongst the National Hockey League. I think after you do something that dirty, you're supposed to get even more, even a more of a bigger punishment for that. I mean, we know hockey is a pretty violent sport. They allow fights and stuff like that. But I think there's a line and Tom Wilson has certainly crossed that line multiple times, which is why I think at some point you have to maybe talk about having a bigger suspension and maybe having an even an even bigger fine. So he doesn't do something like that again, especially with the growing concern of CTE in the NHL it's really not a good look for the sport to have players that consistently make dirty hits like Tom Wilson did. Yeah, I think definitely got to draw the line somewhere. And considering a repeat offender, I think it's got to be something more. And something has to be done. A rule has to be placed or something like that. But, uh, you know, uh, that's part of the sport. But obviously there's no room uh, for players like that in the sport who constantly do dirty hits. And hopefully the NHL finally does something about it, maybe makes a rule or or maybe – I don't know, maybe get some out of the league. But unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today on this edition of X's and Opinions. Hope you enjoyed uh, Joel and Ben uh, going back and forth about the four major sports here in the United States. But for Ben Harris and Joel Moran, I'm Liam Plate. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time.